We're in a series called Taste and See. It comes from a phrase in the Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I wanted to start my sermon this morning with a question about food. This is a survey, so you get to raise your hand. How many of you shop at Costco? That's a lot, hey? At least half, if not more. Costco is a very interesting phenomenon to me. There are a lot of reasons not to shop there. It's not all that close. Uh, it's often very crowded, including in the parking lot. You have to have a membership. They don't have the same selection of items that regular grocery stores usually have. But we go there anyways. Why? Well, I think probably for two reasons. Uh, we hope to get a better price by buying stuff in bulk, right? And then it's also nice to stock up on things that we enjoy and uh, food that's going to last us for a long time. So it eases some of that anxiety of not having anything to eat in the house, right? It always feels good after you go for a big shop, you fill up all your cupboards, and it gives you that sense of security that no matter what happens in the next few weeks, at least I've got enough granola bars. <laughs> now, I, I actually don't shop at Costco. I would if I could, but we literally don't have the space in our home to store things in bulk. Um, there's six of us, I have four children, in a townhouse, and there's very limited storage space. We don't have a garage, we don't have a kitchen pantry, we don't have a deep freeze, so we can only fit maybe a week's worth of groceries for six people in our house at one time. So there's no room, and uh, unless we start piling things on the floor, which we actually do already. So, <laughs> oh. so that means that in terms of food in our house, we have to live without too much of a safety net, and sometimes that's frustrating. During COVID, it was a little bit stressful because you had to worry, well, are we going to get quarantined all of a sudden and have to be locked down in our house? Um, but thankfully, we're through most of that fear. Why am I telling you this? Well, one of my favorite authors currently, Rich Velotis, if you don't know him, follow him on Instagram or read one of his books. He's got a new book called Good, Beautiful, and Kind. He's, anyways, Rich Velotis, he said something profound about Costco recently. This is a quote from one of his Instagram posts. He said, Jesus tells us to pray for daily bread, but we'd rather have a Costco relationship with God. We'd rather have stuff in bulk so as not to come back to God so often, but we can't live without daily dependence. What is a Costco relationship with God? I'm going to let you mull that over for a few minutes while we look at an example from Scripture. Now, obviously, there was no Costco then, but people were pretty much the same, and human beings like safety and security and storing up. We like predictability. We like control and independence. We like to feel like we've got a plan, right? And so we're going to look at a prime example of that in Scripture, and then at the end, I think we'll have a better idea of what a Costco relationship with God is and why it doesn't work. The story we're going to look at today will be very familiar to many of you. And so you can turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 16. There are Bibles in the pew, or you might have your Bible app on your phone, and we're going to put it on screen as well. This story takes place shortly after God performed the greatest miracle in the Old Testament. 
he performed the exodus. He freed his people from slavery in Egypt with a series of plagues to convince Pharaoh that he should set them free. And if you've ever seen the animated film Prince of Egypt, then you know the gist of this story. And then, of course, Pharaoh changed his mind and chased them, and God parted the Red Sea for them to walk across on dry land, and he closed the water right back over the army that was chasing them. So this group of people had seen incredible miracles. God had proven that he was on their side, he was their protector, he was their deliverer. They still didn't trust him, though. They uh, had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They had felt abandoned by God. And now in a matter of weeks, he has done all these things and set them free, but for what purpose? They're not convinced yet that he is always going to be good to them. So Exodus 16, starting at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So the way I see it, the Israelites made three mistakes here. They were forgetful, they were ungrateful, and they were unbelieving. First of all, in their discomfort in the desert, they had no pantry to store up their granola bars, and they forgot what it was really like in Egypt. They put on some rose-colored nostalgic glasses, a filter over their memories, and they said, oh, we were so much better off in Egypt. We had all the meat we wanted. We had all the food we wanted. It was so much better there. That's a pretty selective memory. Did they forget they were slaves? Did they forget that they were enduring forced labor without the supplies to do the job they were told to do? That they were without a future, without freedom or their own land or any hope. They also forgot the power of God that they had witnessed during their escape, all those plagues that hit the Egyptians but not the Israelites. And that final plague, the Passover, when the angel of death spared their households but killed the firstborn son of every family that didn't have lamb's blood on the doorposts. They saw the Red Sea parted in front of their eyes. All these things should have been enough to convince them that God is able to do anything and was more than capable of providing for them. The scripture tells us it had only been six weeks since these things happened, the 15th day of the second month. It had been six weeks, and they had forgotten what God had done. 
They were so focused on their current problems, they forgot what they'd been saved from and how miraculous that saving had been. And it's not that they didn't recall the events, they didn't have amnesia, but they forgot the lesson they were supposed to learn, that God was on their side and that he can do anything. So forgetfulness was their first mistake. Their second mistake was ingratitude. If they had been remembering and thanking God daily for what he had done and how he had taken care of them so far, then they wouldn't have been complaining. The wilderness wanderings of the Israelites, if you continue to read about them through Exodus and Numbers, they teach us over and over again that a lack of gratitude is sin, and it leads us into other sins. So in spite of having limited food supplies, they had so much to be thankful for. They were free after 400 years of slavery. They were on their way to a new land. They were seen and loved by God as his special chosen people, his own children. And it wasn't easy trekking through the desert, but God was with them and he was speaking to them constantly through his servant Moses. They could see the glory of God with their own eyes. There was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night leading them, the physical representation of the presence of God with them. How privileged and how blessed they were. And yet they have the audacity to say to Moses, we were better off in Egypt. They were extraordinarily ungrateful. And thirdly, they were unbelieving. God, the creator of all that exists, had revealed himself to them, chosen them, and made promises to them. And so what evidence did they have that he wouldn't keep his promise? This is what God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. Verses 6 to 8. So pay attention to the things that God said he would do. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So God had already kept the first part of that promise. He had freed them. He had led them out of Egypt. And so how could they now doubt that he would also keep his promise to bring them safely to the promised land? He had sworn to, his, to their ancestors he says, with an uplifted hand, he had made an oath that he would do it. And he wasn't coerced to do any of that. He initiated this relationship. In his grace and mercy, God came to them and blessed them with these promises. So how could they then think that he'd brought them into the desert to starve? In Psalm 78, it describes this situation verses 18 to 22 of Psalm 78. It describes it like this. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? True, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob, his, and his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. So they were unbelieving, forgetful, ungrateful, and unbelieving, rebelling against God, testing God. And he was rightfully angry, 
But what does God do here? He still provides for them. Listen to what happens next. After the Israelites have grumbled to Moses, and he promises them that God will provide. So Exodus 16, starting at verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. I had to look this up. An omer is about three and a half pounds. That seems like enough for one day, right? The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever's left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, can you believe this? Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone's to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Okay, let's sum up this situation. God has kept every single one of his promises so far. Now he's told them very specifically what food he's going to provide and how he's going to provide it. And it happened exactly the way he said. And still some of them didn't obey his instructions. They tried to store up what God said was going to be a daily provision. And they tried to keep it for tomorrow, just in case God doesn't come through. And then they tried to find his gifts on the seventh day when he said it wasn't going to be there. They seem incapable of listening. God must have been so frustrated. I'm frustrated for him just reading this. The Israelites had put God to the test, as we read in Psalm 78. They asked, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? So essentially, they were saying, Will you do it, God? Will you keep your promises? And God has responded, yes, I can do it, and I will. Can you trust me? So he turns it around, and he puts them to the test. It's actually the people's trust and obedience that is being tested in this situation, not God's faithfulness. And they failed the test, of course. At least some of them did. Enough of them that God was angry with the community as a whole. And if we had more time, I would read you Numbers chapter 11, and, which is a couple of years later when the people get sick of the manna and demand more meat, and so God gives them plenty, but then many of them die of a plague. 
They just, they don't learn. Even years later, they're still forgetful, they're still ungrateful, they're still unbelieving. And by that time, they'd already met with God at Mount Sinai and received his commandments. They'd set up the tabernacle and they'd seen his glory fill it. And they were still complaining and still doubting God's presence. So, my concern for us at White Rock Baptist Church is that we not repeat the mistakes of our ancestors. That's why this story is in the Bible for us to learn from. We need to do the opposite of what the ancient Israelites did. We need to do three things. To remember, to be grateful, and to trust in God's promises. So first, we we need to continually remember all that God has done in the past to set us free. We haven't experienced the Exodus, but we can read about it. And so all the works God has done in the past includes all the things we read in the Bible. And we need to be reading our Bibles a whole lot more than we do. But it also includes all the things God has done in the past in your life where you've seen God at work. We need to remember those things. We're naturally forgetful people. As soon as we're faced with a new crisis, we panic. Like God hasn't brought us through every crisis we've been through up until now. One famous quote that I love says this, so far you've survived 100% of your worst days. And I would edit that to say, with God's help, I've survived 100% of my worst days. And so if I hit another bad day, I should remember and ask God for his help once again. He's still gonna be there. He's still faithful. He hasn't moved. And so I encourage you to do something this week. This is your homework. I encourage you to prepare in advance for your next crisis by writing down all the specific ways you can think of that God has shown up in your life. We sang that song about all my days you've been faithful. Write them down. How has God been faithful? How has he sustained you? How has he healed you? How has he provided for you? When did he encourage you? Who did he send into your life at just the right moment to help you? What terrible things could have happened and then didn't because God protected you. Write that all down and then read it when you doubt if God sees you and if he's still good. Okay? You'll be prepared. It will help. I promise. Write it all down. Read that list when you have doubts. And the older you are, the longer a list this is going to be. So you might have to limit yourself to the last 20 years or something or you'll be writing a book. Maybe you want to write a book. Go ahead. I'd read it. Secondly, okay, so first of all, we're, we're remembering. Secondly, we're being grateful. This should happen naturally if we go and, and consciously dwell on all the good things God has done for us, all the ways he's been faithful to us. We should get thankful, right? And every day we're going to have new things to be grateful for. Now we know we are also going to have new problems and new stresses, and new painful situations. But we don't need to make a list of those. Why dwell on that? How's that going to help us? We don't want to become serial complainers the way the Israelites were. We need to be grateful for what we have and not miserable about what we don't have. So let's be grateful for the daily manna and not complain that it isn't fruit or meat or ice cream. We have what we need. Whatever God has provided for this day will be enough. God has promised to provide all that we need. Not all that we want, but he provides all that we need. And he works for our good, that is, for our ultimate benefit, 
in every single situation that we face in life, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, even when bad things happen, God is at work. He's doing something in us and around us. God told the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul responded to that by saying, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So Paul trusted God so completely that his response to hardships was not to complain about the hardships, but to actually rejoice because it was God getting to show his power again. Every crisis was actually an opportunity for God to glorify himself by bringing him through yet another difficulty. It's something that will be added to the list of God's faithfulness in the future, right? We don't know how God's going to bring us through this crisis, but we know he will, and someday we're going to get to write it down on our list. Can you imagine how much peace we would have if we could have an attitude like this? We get to a major crisis and we go, okay, well, let's watch and see what God's going to do this time. I'm grateful God allowed this to happen so I can see God at work again. <laughs> I don't think like that. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul did, and wow, I hope someday I'll be able to think like that. And so this leads us to the third thing. We're remembering, we're being grateful, and then we're trusting God's promises. And the only way to do this is one day at a time. I can't emphasize this enough. We can't trust God in the past, that's over. We can't trust God in the future because we're not there yet and we don't know what's going to happen. All we can do is trust God today. Jesus said in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God provides one day at a time for all the creatures on earth. Very few need to stockpile anything. And so why do we think God provides differently with human beings? This is his way with us, with all of his creatures. He gives us what we need one day at a time. He's our provider, and I'm not just talking about food here. Sometimes I've heard people say to someone who's going through a hard time, I don't know how you do it. I could never handle that. I could never get through what you're going through. Well, you could, actually, because God will provide the strength you need when you need it, right? He doesn't give it early, but he doesn't ever come late, right? Right when we need, God provides what we need. And too often, I think, we try to trust that God's promises will always be true, and that's admirable, but we make it harder than it needs to be because all we really need to do is trust that God's promises are true today, that he's with us today, that he's good today. This is the moment we're living in. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, so God's grace just needs to be sufficient for today. And this is why a Costco relationship with God isn't going to work. We don't get to store up. We have to receive from God the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the strength, the comfort. We have to receive that from God today, and then tomorrow we're going to need to receive it again. 
So Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to rivers of living water. Not a pond, not a pool, not a swamp. It's not saved up. The Holy Spirit is like rivers of living water flowing through us. Rivers are in motion. They're always dependent on more water coming down to fill them. And so the water of the Holy Spirit flows out of us, but there's always more flowing in. We're continually receiving from God and then giving away what we receive. It's one day at a time. That's the only way to live and walk in the Holy Spirit is by receiving what we need from Jesus one day at a time and trusting that his promises are going to hold for today. Now, this is much easier said than done, of course, because just like the Israelites, we worry that because, just because God provided today doesn't mean he will tomorrow. What if tomorrow he fails me? <sighs> we want to be secure for the future. We want to store up his gifts, but we can't do it. His faithfulness in the past is our only security for the future. We're just going to have to come to him every single day with open hands and say, give us this day our daily bread. So let's pray that together. Pray with me, please. Lord, you know we are just like the Israelites. So often we complain. Lord, we are forgetful and ungrateful and unbelieving. We don't even realize how ungrateful and unbelieving we are. Lord, change us. Help us to trust you just today. Lord, help us to remember all of the wonderful things you've done in the past for all of your people through history, recorded for us in the scriptures, and then for each one of us, for our families, for our friends. Let's treasure the stories of how you have been faithful to people and the things you have done so that we can be grateful people, not worrying about what we don't have, but overflowing with joy because of what we do have. And Lord, help us to trust your promises today. Help us not to fear for the future. We don't need to store up anything. We just need to come to you every single day asking for what we need, and you will be faithful to provide. Lord, may we believe that and know that deep in our hearts and in our souls so that when a crisis hits, we can say, what's God going to do now? How is he going to bring me through this? Lord, give us that attitude. Change us, we pray. Revive our hearts to be trusting and to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.